All right, if you have a Bible, let me encourage you to grab it and make your way to Hebrews 12, where Lee was just reading from. We're going to be jumping back in our series through the book of Hebrews that we've been out of for a couple of weeks now for Palm Sunday and Easter. Now, several of you know that uh, this year uh, I have had um, the opportunity to coach the distance portion of the Nolensville High School track team, and I have had an absolute blast doing that. It's been so great to use things that talents and skills and knowledge that the Lord's given to me that I haven't used in a whole in a long, long time and had the opportunity to do that. And so typically I go to practice twice a week, uh, particularly the days where I'm going to have them on the track doing uh, a hard interval session. And on the other days of the week, I just send to the other coaches, hey, have them do this or that. But when they're working out hard, I have them on the track. And so I have just had so much fun doing that uh, this year, watching kids get better, looking for teachable moments where I'm able to just impart a little something about life. Um, Two of my kids are on that team, so I get to be around them as well. And so it's been a whole lot of fun. When we actually come to a race, I normally try to give uh, a little bit of a race plan. And so it'll be heavy on motivation, heavy on hope, uh, positive stuff. But I always smuggle in a warning. A warning about things that could derail the race uh, and those sorts of things. Well, when we come to Hebrews chapter 12, this last section, that's very much kind of what's going on here. I mean, we have been in since the beginning of this chapter. I mean, it began with a call to run with endurance the race set before us. And he's been calling us to this and he's Uh, talked about the fact that it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. You're going to need endurance. Your hands are going to droop. Your knees are going to get weak. You are going to get worn out. You're going to be tired. It's going to be painful. And as we come to the conclusion of this chapter-long metaphor, the author gives us several hopeful and motivating factors to keep running to execute a good race plan, but he also smuggles in a warning that can derail our race. And so this morning, what we're going to be doing is we're going to examine three encouragements from this text, but one warning that we need to see as well as we seek to run the race set before us all the way to the end. And that first encouragement... And we find here where the author is talking, he's, you know, picking up on everything that we've talked about. You're running this race. He's saying, like, as you are running, number one, be comforted. You have come to the mountain of grace. Be comforted. You have come to the mountain of grace. Now, in a race, a mountain being before you is not normally comforting, right? That's not a good thing. You don't, you know, hey, I know you're tired. I know you're worn out. I know everything's hurting. Don't worry. You you just have a mountain to go up, right? That's not like no one says that as an encouragement. But when you understand the mountain, you realize the comparison of a mountain that the author's making. And you realize also that we don't have to climb this mountain. It's a mountain that we've been set upon. It's a mountain actually we've been given, a mountain of grace. Then it absolutely does become encouraging. We have been given this mountain of grace, both figuratively, but then also literally here in Hebrews 12. And so look, look at it with me again, what, what Lee just read. 
So he starts off, you have not come, all right, to, to one kind of mountain. You have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and voices whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they cannot endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. So the author is saying, listen, you have not come to Mount Sinai. You've not come to Exodus 19 where it gives the law and the fi- there's fire on the mountain and there's you know, pyrotechnics going off and there's lightning and there's thunder and there's a tempest and a storm and fire. And, 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 Fearful, he's saying you you haven't come to that. You haven't come to that mountain. Like Christian, you're not living under the Old Testament law anymore. You're not under the old covenant. We have a new covenant. We have a new mountain. We have a better mountain. And so look at verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. The heavenly Jerusalem. And to innumerable angels in festal gathering. And to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. And to God the judge of all. And to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And to Jesus. The mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word. Than the blood of Abel. And so you haven't come to Mount Sinai with all of its laws. You have come to Mount Zion with all of its grace. And it is a gift. So friends, we, we, we live under the new covenant. We are living in between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. We live in the day where many of God's promises that people had waited for for hundreds of years have begun to come into fruition they have already started they're not yet all the way realized already not yet and it but it's the not yet that this is fundamentally about this mountain it's fundamentally about heaven and it's saying our citizenship is in heaven And we are already the people of God. We are already seeing pieces of the future, but like they won't be fully realized in this life. There's that already, not yet. And so don't live with an over-realized eschatology. That is a fancy way of saying, don't live as if heaven's going to be now. Okay, it's going to be then. And we have to keep that in mind. Don't live as if heaven's now. Heaven is then, not now. Like now, there's going to be a lot of difficulty. Then there'll be nothing but delight. Now, there's going to be, I mean, Jesus said, in this world you're going to have tribulation. Then there'll be nothing but jubilation. Now, we're going to experience pain. We're going to experience problems. Then, we'll only experience peace and pleasure forever. This life, and like people under 30, listen very closely because I did, I knew this, but I didn't know that, know this. Life is a vapor. Like it's a, it is a mist. Hey, we went to prom last night. 17 years have gone by like that. 
It is a vapor. It is a mist. And what we long for ultimately, like we can find satisfaction here, we can find purpose, we can find meaning, we can find love, we can find fulfillment, but it will never be fully realized in this life. And if you try to set it on things outside of Christ, outside of eternality, you will always be bankrupt. You can find satisfaction in this life, but ultimately the fulfillment of all things when our fallenness is gone and we are spirits made righteous, spirits of the righteous made perfect, we have no more sin, then all of that will finally and fully come. Heaven is what we are waiting for where we long for, where our hope must be and can be set, is in heaven, the new Jerusalem, the heavenly city, Mount Zion, the better mountain. I mean, just look at all the things that are listed on this mountain of grace. We'll make our way through them. There's like seven major little components here. Verse 22 again, But you have come to Mount Zion. And to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Again, this is heaven. Okay? And to the innumerable angels in festal gathering. This is party wear for the marriage supper of the Lamb. And to the assembly. Literally, the word there is ecclesia, which means church. And to the church of the firstborn. We are enrolled who are enrolled in heaven, like when the roll is called up yonder. And who's on the roll? Every believer from the Old Testament and every believer from the New Testament. All right, all the B.C. ones and all the A.D. ones are on this roll. I don't get confused by end time crazy fictional books. Okay, we need to leave left behind behind. There's not two people of God. There's one people of God, the church of the firstborn. And in the heaven, like let's keep going, we, come, we will come to God, the judge of all. This is verse 23. And when we hear judge, we think to ourselves, I don't want to meet God as judge because I know my heart. I mean, I, I totally get that. And non-believer, you, you need to reckon with that because you, you will. Like, th- there's two options. Either you will bear your sins yourself before a holy God or Christ will have already borne them for you on the cross. And he offers that to you. But you have to lay claim to that. You have to choose that. You have to make that choice and receive that gift. And so he says, God, the judge of all. And so if you are in Christ, like facing God as judge shouldn't be scary. Jesus has borne that. He has already paid for your sins. God as judge should actually be encouraging. And here's why. It means you will finally be vindicated. Now you think about the, the, the folks, the original recipients of this letter. Jewish converts in Rome. Under heavy persecution. And so when they hear God, the judge of all, is there, there is great encouragement to them because it's telling them, hey, there's going to be justice for the injustice that you are facing in your life. And it's the same thing for us, for the injustices of our brothers and sisters in North Korea, in Afghanistan, 
Or that's contemporary. Let's go back in history to, you know, our brothers and sisters thrown to the beasts in the Colosseum. There's going to be justice for that. And someday there will be justice for the likely injustice that we will face in the decades to come. God is judge of all. Vindication will be there. And that's good news. God, the judge of all. What else do we see? find in heaven? To the spirits of the righteous made perfect. That is, we will finally have in practice what now we only have in position. We have been made positionally perfect because of Christ, not because of us. But then that will fully be ours. Like There will be no sin in heaven. There will be no imperfect people in heaven. God will make us perfect, sinless, finally, fully. In verse 24, we've been given Jesus. I love that the word here is just Jesus, not Christ, not his position, just his person, personal. The mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Not blood that calls out for justice from the ground, but blood that calls out, it is finished. Here's the deal. Everybody over-promises and under-delivers. The world, Satan, sin, the flesh, but not our Lord. The better mountain you've been given, Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, will be better and beyond your wildest imagination. Better and beyond. And so, be comforted. This is the mountain you've been given. You've been given heaven. It's a gift. You've been given a mountain of grace. Literally, but then also figuratively. But then here comes the warning. Number two in your notes. Be warned. Do not ignore God's word. Be warned. Do not ignore God's word. Look at verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they, Mount Sinai, did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, yet, this is from the book of Haggai, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Now this phrase, yet once more, indicates The removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made. In order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Look back at verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Now, who's the you here? It's important when you're reading your Bible. The you here, this is not people out there. This is not non-believers. The warning that he's giving isn't to non-believers. The warning that the author is giving here is to the church. It's to us. And it's a warning 
don't ignore what God says. Like if it was a big deal for Israel to ignore, it's an even bigger deal for Christians and churches to ignore God's Word. I keep a little uh, history deal in my uh, office. You know, tear it off every day and read a little history deal. And um, nine days ago, I think, uh, yeah, April the 15th. Anybody tell me something that happened on April the 15th? I'll give you a 1912. Titanic sunk. April 15th, 1912, the Titanic sunk. That should have never happened on a multitude of reasons, but one of the reasons it should have never happened is that they got radio communication after radio communication after radio communication that there were icebergs all over the place. Now, they missed a bunch of them early on in the day because their radio equipment was broken, so they had to get that fixed. But then once they got that fixed, they were so focused on a backlog of messages that the wealthier passengers wanted sent to New York that they were working through that backlog. And so they would send it to uh, Cape Fear, Canada, who would then relay it on down to New York City. But the messages kept coming in, kept coming in, kept coming in all through the evening. And finally, at 10.30 at night, the Californian was a ship that was nearby and they stopped. They weren't even moving. They were surrounded by ice. And they send a message to the Titanic about how bad it is. Now, they were so close that the Titanic radio operator could absolutely hear this guy while, you know, listening to New York was a little bit fainter. And the guy's telling him, icebergs, icebergs. And Jack Phillips, the radio operator, literally tells him, Keep out, like, get off my frequency, shut up, I'm trying to, literally, I mean, I'm quoting, I'm trying to reach Cape Fear. It's not Cape Fear, that's like in Africa, Cape Race. And then you know the the rest of the story, though. An hour and ten minutes later, after 10.30, the Titanic hit the iceberg. And then over the next several hours, over 1,500 people died. All because Jack Phillips, the radio operator, ignored all the warnings. He refused to listen to them. He was more concerned with talking to and hearing from New York than the other ships around him. Who do you most listen to? What most informs your beliefs? Do you let politics, whether liberal or conservative, drown out God's word or twist it? Or maybe it's culture. You you don't want to be canceled. And so you begin to capitulate on God's clear word as it relates to sexuality or gender. Do you listen most to Hollywood? Their songs? Songs are they're not just talking, they're teaching. They are shaping. Who do you listen to? Friends that you want to impress? Co-workers that you don't want to look weird in front of? Like who's who do you have the volume turned way up on? 
And maybe have the volume on God turned way down. See, friends, if we take our cues from culture, right, things other than God's Word, politics, again, whether that's liberal or conservative, if these are the things, not God's Word, if these are the things that primarily affect what we believe, what we think, how we act, how we view the world and not the Word of God, then we need to be very, very careful. Because our allegiance is actually to those things. They're what shape us. They're what tell us how to live. They're what tell us how to act. They're what tell us how to believe, what to think. And if that's the case, they are our Lord. They are our master. And you can't serve two masters. Jesus said that. Hey, we went to prom and told you guys that just a minute ago yesterday. And while they were there, one of the things that they did is they drew uh, caricatures, right? You guys know what a caricature is. It's where they, you know, take something. They often embellish one part and diminish something. And it's kind of a funny drawing. Now, the ones that they did last night just gave the, the, the people, you know, a larger head on a smaller body. But they, they drew the face to, to just look normal. But normally with caricatures, again, they, they take one thing and they just super embellish that one thing. And so, for example, I mean, Will Smith has been on the news a lot lately. And so, if they drew Will Smith, they're going to focus on his ears, right? It's going to have giant ears in the caricature. Mick Jagger's going to have giant lips in the caricature. Um, President Trump, they focus on a giant comb-over, right? Caricatures. They take things, one particular feature... And they turn it into the defining characteristic. Friends, our idols have the same effect on us. We become caricatures of our idols. And things that should be just incidental to us take on the defining characteristic of our lives. And the result is we become a little caricature of our idols. We become a caricature of something that belongs to this world rather than reflecting the image of God who created this world. And so the question remains, who are you most listening to? And what is that producing in you? We were at a conference this week and there was a a preacher and he said this, If people can scroll through your social media and easily see what you are against, but have to strain to see what you love, that's a problem. And to our point this morning, that's telling. Do not ignore God's word. Hear it. And heed it. Like the mountain of grace you've been given isn't a license to sin. Okay, it's not like we're not called, like don't presume on that grace. I got a mountain of grace. Don't presume on that grace. It's not a license to sin. So be warned. Do not ignore God's word. Because the world is going to be shaken. That is the peripheral things of the world are going to fall away in the end. In order, look at verse 27. 
in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. And so what's your hope in? Lots of questions today. Lots of thinking I want you to do today. What are you listening to? What is your hope in? What do you spend the bulk of your free time on? What do you spend the bulk of the time in your own brain thinking on? Things that ultimately don't matter and will fall away. Friends, we don't have to be like the world. We can be different. We can be obedient. We can focus on things that last. R.C. Sproul used to say, right now counts forever. Right now counts forever. Let's make sure that our right now really, really counts. Don't ignore God's word. That's the warning. All right, but then number three swings right back to encouragement. And so look at verse 28. Therefore, I mean, he's summing up everything from the beginning of chapter 12. Therefore, let us be grateful. And in particular, what he just said about being shaken. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And so number three in your notes, be grateful. God's kingdom is unshakable. Be grateful. God's kingdom is unshakable. Listen to me. As followers of Jesus, we will be stirred, but not shaken. We will be rattled, but we won't fall off. Stirred, not shaken. That is our life. There will be rough patches. There will be tough seasons. There will be storms that blow in, storms that blow up, storms that we cause. And these will certainly stir us, but they won't shake us out of the kingdom. Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And they follow me. I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Nothing. Nothing can shake you out of God's hand. And nothing can shake The kingdom of God. Not sin, not Satan, not geopolitical upheavals. God's kingdom cannot be shaken because God cannot be shaken. It's like we talked about last week. Fear dies or lessens greatly when we recognize who God truly is. That He is sovereign in power, clothed with glory, That He is eternal, that He is self-existent. Everything we read out of Colossians 1 this morning, everything that John quoted or read out of Hebrews 1 this morning, that He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the first and the last. He has no beginning. He has no end. He has always been. I mean, He was the living God when He caused this universe to bang into existence. He was the living God when Socrates drank his poison. He was the living God when William Bradford governed the Plymouth Colony. He was the living God this week. 
And he will be living 10 trillion ages from now when, as one guy put it, all the puny pot shots against his reality will have sunk like oblivion into, like, sunk like oblivion, like BBs into the Pacific Ocean. Friends, recognize the brevity of our experience. 50 years from now, not one head of state in the world will still be there. And in just 110 years from now, the world will be populated by 12 billion new people and the 8 billion of us on this earth will be gone. It's a vapor. It's a mist. We will be gone. The pot shots will be gone. The heads of state will be gone. 8 billion people will be gone, but not God. He never had a beginning, and therefore he depends on nothing for his existence. He has always been and always will be alive. And likewise, because of that, his kingdom, because he's king, cannot be shaken. He will build his church, his already not yet kingdom, Mount Zion kingdom, God's people, God's place under God's rule and blessing forever cannot be shaken. And so, dear friends, live confidently today with gratitude in your heart. Not about you, not confidence in yourself, boasting in the cross, boasting in the great I am. Things in this world may fall away. Circumstances of health, your job, finances, relationships, these may be taken from you, but God's kingdom of which you are a citizen cannot be taken from you. Psalm 73 Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail. May fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Stirred, yeah. Not shaken. God would have to stop being God for his kingdom to be shaken. That's how secure it is. And so verse 28 again. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Like, yes, we have been given Mount Zion, but God is still Mount Sinai, powerful. Mount Sinai, awesome in power, clothed in glory. A consuming fire. And so number four then, worship with reverence and awe. Worship with reverence and awe of this great God who holds you fast, who won't let you be shaken, Holy, 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 as we sang this morning. Great I am, as we sang this morning. Eternal, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. The one in whom the, the angels hide their own faces in the presence of His holiness. Worship Him. Listen to Him. Take your cues from Him. Because Jesus is better He is exalted. Every knee 
when he comes, will bow. Not a question, will bow. And so why bow right now to something other? And yeah, this life's hard. Like, that's the whole point of chapter 12. The author knows this. That's why he's comparing it to a long-distance endurance run. It's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. It's going to get boring at times. And there's going to be days you just want to quit. I mean, maybe you're there right now. Your life is stacked up. And you... But the call from Jesus is again. Finish the race. Keep the faith. Hang in there. I've got you. I'm not going to let you go. Nothing can snatch you out of my hand. The kingdom cannot be shaken. I know you're being stirred right now. I know. I know. And I'm with you in it. I'm with you in it. But just keep going. He's given you a mountain of grace. Heaven is waiting. And He's given you His Word in this life as a guide. And never let you go. His kingdom can't be shaken. And so as we are about to sing, the soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to His foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never No, never, no, never forsake. Be comforted. Be warned. Be grateful. And worship the great I am. Let's pray. Stating the obvious, God, you are so wise. You are so wise in every way. But Father, even as you send corrections into our lives, things that cause us to pause and think, conviction that comes upon us, because of our lack, because of our sin, because of our not living as if you are preeminent. Even as these things come upon us, you at the same time encourage us. And so, Father, that is my prayer this morning, is that this word would be encouraging to those who are At the end of their wits, they are worn out. They are life has caused such anxiousness to grip them. That the truth of who you are, your power, your might, and that your kingdom cannot be shaken because of who you are. Not because of us hanging on to it but because you hang on to us, that this would encourage and enliven and truly bring comfort and drive gratitude 
and worship. Humble-filled, obedient worship. Not just on a Sunday, but on Monday and on a Tuesday and on a Wednesday as we live our life. And we don't just sing songs in here, but we let our life songs sing to you. Bring encouragement. Bring gospel-driven, gospel-shaped fortitude. Holy Spirit wrought power. To keep living for you. Looking to Mount Zion. Our very soon heavenly home. In Christ's name, amen.